Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Lights, Camera, Sports podcast presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. I'm your host, Mike Galtieri. Well, I reached out recently to Derek Knight, a former legend, Boston College uh, running back, and we had a nice conversation, a nice podcast, talking about his career, uh, his time at Zavarian, his time at Boston College, short stint in the pros, and what he's doing now later in life, and how he still is very, very close to Boston College and involved with the BC Varsity Club. So it was a very good podcast. I think you'll find Derek Knight very well-spoken, and I hope you stick with those and enjoy the podcast. First, I'd like to remind everybody, if you're a BC football fan, you need to join the BC Football Gridiron Club. Just go to bcfootballgridiron.com to sign up. All right, first we'll hear from our sponsors, Chestnut Hill Technologies and Stone Love and Pizza, and then go into the podcast with former BC all-time great running back, Derek Knight. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. At Stone Love and Pizza, their mission is simple, to offer the most creative selection of hand-tossed, all-natural pizza in the Neapolitan tradition. Their pizzas are cooked in a stone-fired brick oven directly on the stone to lock in the flavor. Stone Love and Pizza uses all-natural products. In other words, their dough, sauce, and cheese contain no additives, preservatives, or weird chemicals of any kind. Come visit one of Stone Lovin's three locations, including the newest location at 1649 Beacon Street in Newton. Go Eagles! Welcome to another Lights, Camera, Sports podcast presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. I'm your host once again, Mike Galtieri, and we're back in, for another week. We're running the swing of full things here for the football season. I thought it'd be great to reach out and connect with, uh, we all know him, a famous alum, football player, former BC all-time running back great. Derek Knight joins us here on the Lights Camera Sports Podcast. 3,725 yards in his career. First of all, Derek, thanks so much for the time. Uh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. Um, anything to help out uh, a fellow Eagle. Well, Derek Knight joins us now. He works in commercial lending. But, Derek, let's first now take it back to when you grew up. Was football always your number one sport? Uh, it it was from the time that I started playing at an early age. I think seven years old, a uh, little uh, pee wee. Um, you know, I was just I got in there, uh, fell in love with it. I didn't know much about the sport actually uh, when I first signed up. It was just kind of I needed to do something, and my, my mother said, "You got to do something." She said, "You want to play football?" I said, "I don't know what it is." <laughs> she said, "They'll teach." I said, "Okay," and it's, uh, it's been a romance story since then. And you grew up, talk about you grew up in Rockland, Mass. Would you follow BC growing up? Were you always a BC fan in the Northeast? Um, I was. I was. I did grow up in, um, in Rockland, Mass. Great, hard-nosed town, blue-collar. Um, and I, we did follow BC. I had a, a friend who, um, his brother went to Boston College and actually was a walk-on on the team. And we actually, uh, good family friends of mine, was a former running back at Boston College, Donnell Campbell, in the early 90s. He was a... Uh, I think he led the nation in touchdowns. So during that whole uh, during that whole uh, era, uh, we came up a couple times to some Boston College games. So I've been watching them for a little while. And then Derek, let's fast forward now. Your high school time. You went to Zavarian High School, obviously well known Eastern Mass, really good football program. 
How did you go to Zavarian and just talk about your time there playing football? Um, absolutely. Uh, you know, my time at Zavarian was was fantastic. It's it's a place that is, will always have a special place in my heart. Um, my time playing there, uh, I ended up going there because there was a group of uh, friends of ours, and it was um, kind of like, hey, we should try to maybe go to a different school. So I ended up taking a Catholic entrance exam and uh, visiting the campus, fell in love with it, uh, tested the waters, and, and never looked back. And um, I loved my time at Boston College equally, just as much as I loved my time at Severian Brothers High School. But uh, I think if I hadn't, hadn't got stepped into uh, Severian, which helped form me as a uh, a complete person, both spirit, spiritually, athletically, and academically. I'm not sure I would have ever made it to the heights. So, so that is uh, my number one. Uh, uh, when I look back, you know, that is an asterisk against that because that uh, that that place uh, helped me, put me, uh, define myself, and put me in the places that uh, that have defined myself in my career in the past. And that's a great segue talking about going from Zavarian to the heights. Just take us back, if you remember, to your recruitment. What schools were looking at you, and how did Tom O'Brien get involved? He was right at the beginning of his coaching career uh, when he started to recruit you. Yeah, he was. And uh, coming up, I was, you know, I wasn't, uh, you know, a parade All-American and, and nationally recruited. Uh, I came out and I was basically looked at by uh, Boston College, Maryland, uh, Syracuse, as well as um, – uh, all the A-10 schools to 1AA and all the Ivy League schools. Um, so when it came down to it, I chose between uh, Boston College and uh, Harvard. I was uh, Coach Murphy right over the right over the, the river there. And um, two fantastic choices. Um, I just think that uh, uh, Boston College, they were, they were uh, one of the first to, to get behind me, one of the first to come in, and I came up to camp and uh, – they courted uh, the relationship right there when uh, when I had a strong camp coming into my senior year, and um, and just uh, you know I think early on in the season they showed a strong strong commitment. Uh, I think after game one or two, they came in with a full offer, and um, and and we decided uh, you know I like the campus, I like the field there, so uh, so I decided to to accept it at that point. Yeah, two two good schools. Obviously, BC Harvard. So it sounds like you obviously took care of business on the academic side as well. That is Zavarian. <laughs> I did, I did, but I think um, a lot of that also has to go with uh, uh, my strong mother, who was uh, who was always on my back. So it was good. Great. So just talk about your first impressions. Now that first summer, you enter the Heights, uh, BC. Well, what was you? you obviously, the, a lot of good running backs at that time. Uh, just talk about. Walking into that situation, what was it like uh, playing college football? Your first experiences. Uh, my first experience was, uh, oh, geez. Um, well, when we walked in, we had a big class at the time. We were, I think, the best recruiting class in DC history. Um, and we came in with, um, I came in with the same class as as um, as William Green. Yeah. So we were the two running backs in the class, and. Uh, and, and it was strong. We also had some strong linemen and tight ends and defensive guys uh, come in. Um, uh, so basically, my first impression was, you know, uh, you know, well, what can we do to come in and stand out? Because uh, I knew uh, coming in that, you know, everybody wherever they came from was going to be uh, an all-star. And basically, one's path doesn't define another's path. So, so we had to come in and sort of. Uh, 
sort of sort of decide, you know, who was going to play, who wasn't, and basically go out there and, and perform as best you could. So coming in, I kind of had a blank slate. I wasn't really having too many expectations. It was just go out there, do your best, and see where the, where the chip fell. I knew everybody coming there was good. Everybody's going to be an all-star uh, from where they're coming from if you were a Division One uh, scholarship athlete. Uh, so it was just come in and play as best you could. Yes. And talk about the first time you met William Green and your running back core. You class of 1998, was it? I want to make sure I got the year right. Uh, no, actually, we were class of 99. 99, okay. High school and then came in in 99. Uh, so the first time I met Will, uh, and Will is, if you've ever seen him, he is a, uh, a physical specimen. So the first time I met William, it, it, uh, it, it kind of uh, was a reflection like, wow, this kid, this when they, when they built him up, as far as him being physically ready to play year one, day one, uh, they weren't they weren't kidding. When you see him, I, the only way that we could really describe him was he was sort of like an action figure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, to put an example, uh, during camp, when we left, uh, when we were leaving uh, camp, sometimes uh, the parents or family friends, you know, during camp can come by, especially if they're in driving distance, um, and between the time you leave. Uh, your locker for showers, and you hit um, uh, you hit your dormitory during camp. Uh, they can come and and you know during that little five minute walk and see you and say hello and maybe drop off if you need. Maybe they baked you something or something. So I had some family friends and and uh, they asked me, you know, who's 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 Will Green? And I said uh, he just he just walked out like two seconds ago. They said no, I saw like four guys walk out, but I didn't see Will. And I said he's the one with the backpack on. They they said, oh my gosh, I thought that was the starting linebacker. <laughs> wow, wow. So when you tell um so my first impression of Will was he was just a physical specimen, he's fast, explosive, but he was developed more more so like a, like a solid junior or senior. So uh but it was you know, at first it was a little intimidating, but it was a great bet. Um because we ended up playing a long time together. Uh we ended up being, you know, roommates on the road and we were able to share knowledge. Um you know, he helped me develop some of my game. I helped and definitely helped me develop some of my confidence, um, as well as, uh, you know, we, we helped each other uh, with the playbook, with uh, with the offense and with everything. And it was a great work relationship because, you know, he played as a fresh, true freshman. I redshirted, and then we kind of complimented each other. When he was, you know, the starting guy, he was more explosive, downhill running back, and I was more, uh, you know, between the tackles guys, but more but more so, more elusive than you should you could say than than he was. And coming out of the backfield, I think uh, slightly better uh, better hands and better route running. But we complemented each other, so it, it was it was good fit there. And I was reading too in advance of this interview that Barry Sanders was always one of your big role models growing up for the Detroit Lions. Oh yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Because Barry is kind of like me; he's kind of undersized. He's about about my height, about five eight. And uh, something that, uh, that you know, if you're going to play running back or play football at the biggest level, you know, uh, there's a lot of naysayers out there, a lot of people that uh, tell you you can't or you're not big enough, you're not this. And, and he was a prime example of someone to look up to, uh, someone to show that, hey, you can get it done. And, um, and, you know, one of my favorite sayings as a running back was, uh, <laughs> was a description of Barry Sanders that, you know, you couldn't tackle him in a phone booth. And uh, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> and um, he he was been phenomenal to watch, and he was a phenomenal role uh, role model 
uh, whether he knew it or not or whether he did it or not. Just the fact that he was out there, um, the fact that he dominated the way he did, the way he played, and, uh, and the stature that he was. It inspired me to do what I did and to give me the confidence to do what I did. And, and, you know, and even I had, you know, a lot of naysayers saying, you know, and at all levels, going to Severian and going to Boston College and going beyond, you know, you don't have the size, you don't have this, but you know what? You, you produce on the field, uh, they can't say anything about you. So um, he gave me that confidence. And, uh, and through my playing careers, I had a lot of young young guys come up to me that were, you know, could have been undersized and, and still out there fighting a good fight and and um, and told me that, that, you know, that they looked up and they admired their inspiration. Some of them were some of the smaller guys saying that they knew they, that they could do it. So uh, I attribute that to Barry Sanders as well because it helped. Uh, it helped, Not only did it help me, but it felt good to me to have kids look up to me for that reason. And, and I know that that is a reflection on, on his confidence that he helped me instill in myself. Derek, you talked about having confidence. You're, after your redshirt year, uh, was there a moment when you first started playing where you're like, you know, you know what, I can compete with these guys in the Big East? And uh, Division One football was there a moment, or was it just a gradual process? Um, it was it was sort of um, it was sort of gradual because first you come in and everything is 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 intimidating. Everybody everybody in your recruiting class, everybody in, in the locker room, a lot bigger than your high school guys, and you know you know what what am I going to do here to compete and such. So it it, it first goes to the level of scrimmages and, and competing against your own team. And then realizing, hey, I can go up there and do it. And then, you know, it's a whole other thing when you walk on the field in front of, you know, 44,000 <laughs> screaming Eagle fans for the first time or in any other stadium. And you realize, you know, that this is a big time. Then you see your opponent to go up there and to start doing it against them. So it's kind of like, you know, in any game at any level, you know, there's always jitters or whatnot until you get out there and get the first hit, the first crack. So uh, I think uh, confidence grows as you go out there. And, and you start playing. So I, I would say for me, uh, definitely confidence started growing. I guess when we started getting more in the mix. So around uh, probably, yeah, like my red shirt freshman year, getting in there, I think I had uh, one of my first 100-yard games, I think, in the second half of UConn, I believe. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But that's kind of when when you know, when you start uh, having games like that, getting in, get building the confidence, uh, and then getting in uh, versus the, 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 the larger opponent. The opponents that you've always historically seen to be college, uh, to be uh, college dominating teams, like uh, when I was coming up, uh, University of Miami, Virginia Tech. When you get in versus those guys, um, and you know the Notre Dame, um, and you do equally as well, you realize that hey, you know I, I can compete at this level, and you know it, it's just a matter of going out there and, uh, and and you know getting the jitters out, and then once you do that, it's uh, all right. Now who wants to win? So you just you know. Just go get it. You talked about the Notre Dame. I know that 2002 Notre Dame game meant a lot to you. The green jerseys, uh, you guys winning 14-7, to Josh Ott having a big play. Talk about what, what that game meant to your career. That game was uh, a defining moment um, in the career because um, I think that uh, BC historically, uh, not only versus Notre Dame, but versus larger opponents, we had – we had kind of a stigma of always being an underdog, always being the team, uh, you know, that was going to lose. And if a big opponent came to town or we were going there, and it was, uh, you had no chance of beating that team. Uh, that 2002 game was one of my favorites. Uh, I think we, for the series, while I was in school, we were either 1-1 one one or we were 2-1. and one. 
uh, because by the time I left, we had won four out of five games. But at that time, they were undefeated. They were top ten in the nation. Um, and it was the same old story with the media, with the newspapers, with everybody uh, around you, except the 100 guys uh, plus 120 guys plus coaches that were in that locker room that knew how good we were. Everybody else around you was saying, you know, you know, how long, how long can you, uh, you know, are you going to be able to play with this team? How long until you lose, essentially? So, so that at that point, we had known that we had beaten them at least uh, either tied since we had been there uh, the series, or we were up two one, and we didn't see anything special that that was out of reach with that group. So I think that was a defining moment because when we went out there on their turf and silenced them, silenced the crowd, silenced everybody. Um, and one of my favorite sounds of all time is a stadium full of 100,000 people completely silent when you can hear a pin drop. And that's the way, when the clock was zero at the fourth quarter, that, that stadium sounded. But, uh, sorry for the side note. Um, <laughs> but it, was, it was that game, that, that defining moment where we came up and, and we showed the crowd, we showed everybody that, hey, you know, we're BC, we're here to stay, boom, now we beat Notre Dame again. We came up against the top opponent who's beaten top teams, and we came into their house and brought the big stick and did it again. And so not only did we show that that was our belief, but that was when we went out and put the stamp on it. We put everything else behind us. At that point, when everybody, up to that point, everybody's telling you, you know, big game, big this, big that is coming, uh, coming to town, and, and you know in your heart that you're, that, you know, they're just, you know your opinion. You played them uh, before, and you know they're not whether they whether they have the hype or not, or whether they deserve it or not. You know that you can compete with them. Um, and sometimes a lot of you know there might be some outside influence. And you start hearing people, and every other person you, you speak to, you know, is generally saying, you know, uh, how are you guys going to win? You know, you guys have no chance. You know, you don't want that to get in the locker room. That was a statement game for us, I think, as a team, to say we're putting all that behind us. You had a big we in here. We won, and that segued us for future winnings against uh, big opponents going into to big stadiums. That segued us into my last year um, winning at Virginia Tech in Virginia Tech, and I think even beyond that, the year after, I think Matty Ryan won in Virginia Tech, and Matty Ryan won uh, beat Florida beat Florida State, and I think uh, and and um, I'm sorry, in Clemson, but you know, Matty Ice is Matty Ice. <laughs> but but I think for a team, even before he was there, that was the game that sort of let all that roll off our back. We said, never again we're going to look in the rearview mirror, uh, rearview mirror and listen to the hype. And, and we came and we played like Boston College should play. From then, from then on, no matter who the opponent, no matter what anyone said. And we came, we played on a chip on our shoulder. We didn't care who we played or where. If you wanted to play in the parking lot, if you wanted to play in the backyard, it doesn't matter. We were coming and we were going to play. 60 minutes of football, hard-nosed, Boston College football, the way it was meant to be. Um, and, and then at the end, we'd look up and see what the score was. So I think that was definitely, that was my favorite game. Um, just not only because of the game itself, because it was a defining moment. From then on, we were a different team. BC's got to get you to go in the locker room before the game and fire us up like that. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, once you uh, you know you get the pride, you bleed um, maroon and gold, man. It it, it it stays in you. The fire is there. The fire is in the belly. Just because you know you're not putting on the pads anymore doesn't mean it's there. We still, you know, we had many years there. Um, 
put in blood, sweat, and tears, and, and those were hard years. We didn't inherit that. When we left there, we were a team that had been the five straight bowl games, one four straight. At the time, it was the longest bowl winning streak in the country. And we segued the way for top-tier talent like uh, Matty Ice to come. Uh, and remember, this is a recruiting class that when we re- when we committed, they were, I think, a, a four and seven or two and nine football team. Uh, they were just, you know, two years out of a gambling scandal um, with the previous coach. So when we came on, we started a new era. But there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, not only in the locker room, not only in the field, everything. But just like I said, we had to shake the stigma of of not being able, not being a, oh, sorry, of being a team that's not able to play against large opponents. Even when we were, we still had a couple years of stigma attached to us that everywhere we went, we were the underdogs, no matter if we had beaten this team, <laughs> this particular team, the last two or three years, we continued to carry that stigma. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of pride. There's a lot of pride of that we, uh, as a team, carry. And, and I, I'm involved with a lot of my teammates, and we still carry that pride um, uh, with us that we, you know, not only changed the culture, changed the, the organization, I guess, the football uh, organization, changed it to a winning culture uh, and, and put pride into the program, but we still carry that pride. And so when we go to the games and we cheer, we, we still carry that pride. And we talk to people, no matter what the condition of Boston College football is, um, you know, we, we carry that pride with us, and it comes out in what we say. And, and, and I'm just a passionate voice. I'm just a passionate voice. I'm just excited, just like any other eagle, uh, to see any sports out there. Once you bleed maroon and gold, you know, you do it for life. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. At Stone Love and Pizza, their mission is simple, to offer the most creative selection of hand-tossed, all-natural pizza in the Neapolitan tradition. Their pizzas are cooked in a stone-fired brick oven directly on the stone to lock in the flavor. Stone Love and Pizza uses all-natural products. In other words, their dough, sauce, and cheese contain no additives, preservatives, or weird chemicals of any kind. Come visit one of Stone Lovin's three locations, including the newest location at 1649 Beacon Street in Newton. Go Eagles! Yeah, and you had you mentioned the big years you had. I just want to remind fans, you ran for a 1,432 yards in 02 and 1402 in 2003. So you had some big years at 02, 03. I remember Penn State, you beat BC, beat Penn State in Happy Valley, 03. So your, those big years were 02, 03 for you. Absolutely. Absolutely, and they were they were uh, phenomenal years, oh two and oh three, and and just like just like, you know you you hit the nail on the head going into Happy Valley, um, in uh in playing uh, Penn State, it, it, it uh, that was another define that was another fantastic game that we were written off of, and uh, fantastic game that I think uh, you know pre pre uh, Notre Dame, uh, there might have been you know I think more jitters more more uncertainty in the team going into Penn State because that was the first time we had ever played them and we were going into Joe Pye Stadium. Um, then at that time, you know, we were a seasoned team. Like I said, everything was in the rearview mirror. They were a team, we were a team, and we were kind of didn't matter what anyone said. We were coming with the, with the big stick, whether they liked it or not. And guess what? We went in there and got the W there too. So, yeah, we had some big years. And, 
And uh, we look back with pride on those years. Talk about what was your time like at BC off the field? Did you enjoy the classes, the academic part uh, at BC? I did. I did. I enjoyed my academics, my professors, um, and my, my college students and uh, fellow BC alums and, uh, and just the atmosphere in general. Uh, I liked we were at a fantastic time, not only with football, hockey during my, ten, my, during my tenure there, Hockey won a national championship. Uh, BC basketball is going to, you know, repeated, repeated, going to uh, Big the, East. They won the Big East. Sixteen. Um, with my 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 roommate of three years, Ukag, I was on that team, um, and we had lots of friends, lifelong friends, um, at 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 that time. That I'm still friends with uh, today. So um, my experience at BC was was phenomenal. Uh, the academics. I'm still in touch with a couple of my teachers. Uh, I was uh, in CSOM. And uh, it was challenging, and I've kept, kept some of my books. Uh, I still have some of my books from school, and I tell you what, even today in my work now, every now and then if, if, uh, if I get something that's sort of uh, out of my expertise, I'll check my old book to see if there's still something on it just so I can get a little snippet of it. And, um, but, but, you know, walking through the campus when I chose the school, it was talking to the people in the general field that I fell in love with, and, and, and to this day, um, I still have that feel. BC, you know, whether you whether I see someone tailgating at BC, or I might be in Florida, I might be on a business trip, if I bump into someone at Boston College, it's the same feeling. you got the same sort of BC connection. You've been to the same place. Everybody's been to the mods. Everybody's, you know, for the most part, uh, you know, Mary Ann's. And, uh, you know, you talk about some BC stuff, and um, it's great. It, it's a fantastic community, and, and I'm and – I'm, ecstatic to be a part of it so uh derek to talk about after graduation take us there what happened did you try to play a little college nfl how did that play out and how did you transition into the working world um i did i kicked around the league for for like uh three years i, I came out i had a knee injury but uh early on i, I played a little small stint with uh carolina and the giants um that took some time to, to heal up my knee a little more than um i i Came back and was with uh, Dallas, and then spent the remainder of uh, my career good stint with uh, the St. Louis Rams. They were in St. Louis at that point, um, uh, and then that was it. Um, uh, you know, in between then, I had um, kind of just tried different things, trying to see you know where I was going to fit inside of uh, inside the world. So, uh, brief stints and um, in some finance jobs and different things, and I ultimately came out and. Um, went into sort of a, a real estate um, and then commercial lending uh, background. Was that tough to realize that the NFL dream was over and that you had to, you know, kind of regroup and get going in your second phase of life, being so young, too, and probably in your mid-20s? Yeah, um, it was tough. It was tough. And, and part of the reason, uh, I would say overall part of the reason, on a, on a more macro level, um, on a more macro level, it, it definitely, because your career is defined, uh, or I should say, you define what you do at to, to this point. There's everything you had done had sports involved in it. And I wasn't naive to say that, you know, I was going to the NFL, I was doing this, uh, I was doing that. Um, I think I was put in a great position, and I think that um, I would have had a longer career if, uh, my, if I didn't have my injury. But, you know, I ultimately knew that, you know, the NFL was hard to make. I knew going to Boston College and playing was hard. I didn't know if I was going to do that. I was just going to go out and, you know, try. 
Um, but once you realize that it's, you know, coming to an end, it's like, what do I do now? And there's definitely a transition between, um, you know, defining yourself. Because everybody you know, everything you've always done, you've always been attached to football. And it's, so what do you do now? It's like, what else can you do? And so I think that's, that's one of the challenges, um, which BC does a, phen- a phenomenal job now preparing our student athletes for the world after. When I was there, they didn't have the infrastructure in place to do internships, to, to talk to people um, in finance or real estate or different things. So when I was done, it was kind of like, or, or didn't know I was going to done. I was like, what am I going to do? There was no infrastructure. I had no uh, whereabouts as to uh, what I was going to do next. And, and you kind of define yourself, everyone you talk to, well, what do you like? What do you like to do? And, Excuse me, and there's really no good answer for that because everything that you define as yourself or anything that you've ever envisioned, excuse me, involves sports. Um, so it, there definitely is a transition, um, and it's difficult. It's difficult to, to not get out there. And I remember when I first when I stopped playing, uh, even coming back to BC games was difficult because you see in the field and, and there's just something about you. You just want to jump out of your skin and get on the field. <laughs> yeah. So and and I thought that was me for a long time, but talking to to some fellow athletes that were that were older and even some my age, you know, uh, the same thing. When when a lot of them stopped playing, it was very difficult for them to go back and even watch games for a few years because it's a difficult transition. That's how you define yourself. That's who you are. Most of your tight knit, grow close friends that you see other people you see in the locker room, you spend so much time on a team. You're traveling, you're working out, you're, you're roommates with them, you see them in the locker room. You know what I mean? You're, you're doing study hall, you're doing films, you're doing your, your meetings with them. Um, and there's just that sort of camaraderie. And so when you leave that atmosphere, that's not out there. There's a serious transition and, and getting used to uh, transitioning into the work world, whether that's going to be in an office, whether that's going to be, you know, sort of, on a professional level and, and as a as a more professional agent of some sort and doing your own business. Um, so it, it's, a, it's not only a change in career of, about self-identity, but the whole dynamic you're used to working in. Um, and that was, that, was a, that was a challenge for me. That was on the macro level. I think on the micro level, <laughs> excuse me, I think um, when I came, when I first came out and I was playing, um, and I, and I was playing, and then I left, and I sort of wanted to heal up my knee. I kind of got an internship job sort of in finance and uh, decided to keep playing, and that's when I went to Dallas and St. Louis. When I came back out, you know, it was around 2007, and those same jobs that were out previously were no longer available, and nobody could really tell me why the banks and, and the financial institutions were not hiring. I, I, later we would find that they had saw that there was an imminent implode of the, of the economy known as the recession. So if you recall, the banks had stopped hiring about, uh, about two years, 12 to 24 months uh, before this. So when I came out, I didn't know why there was no jobs available. So that was me, me, me more on a, on a micro level. I thought it was very difficult for me to transition because I had, you know, here I was, a, a BC grad, BC education, a degree in finance, and it was very difficult for me to get a job. There were no real finance jobs when I came back out, and and um, when I when I knew I was uh, done, done. So, um, so it was a transition for me to try to figure out what it is I wanted to do, what I liked, and um, and you know, not all the options I even wanted to explore were available. So, uh, it, it was it was it was it was a difficult time. 
it was a transitional time, but uh, just like anything else, you just got to uh, put your nose to the grind and, and pull through it and work through it. And so that, that's what I did. Yeah, well, well said, well said. Talk about how you're involved now with the Varsity Club, BC Varsity Club, and how you're staying involved with athletics at BC. Absolutely. And so Varsity Club, uh, which is uh, fan, fantastic. We have Rich Schoenfield as our president now. Um, uh, when I first came on a couple of years ago, I was recruited by a fellow teammate um, who was the president at the time, Ralph Parent. <laughs> he's the pre- he was, now he's a past president of the Varsity Club at the time. He was the president. And the Varsity Club is a membership organization of BC for all athletes. <clears throat> whether you're a big sport, whether you're an Olympic sport, um, if you've ever lettered in any sport at Boston College, you're an automatic member of the Varsity Club. So what we do is we try to accommodate um, all We are a representation of all sports at Boston College. Uh, swimming, sailing, wrestling, fencing, everything. All Olympic sports, all all other sports, um, we are a representative organization, and we try to do it to the best of our ability. One of our jobs is to elect the BC Hall of Fame, which comes in, and and most people don't know that anybody can submit a name for the Hall of Fame. If you go to um, the BC Eagles website or try the Varsity Club website, there's a downloadable form in an email uh, where you can send in uh, a nomination. Uh, And so basically we take the nominations and we bring it to the committee and uh, once, once uh, every whoever's going to get nominated for that year um, goes in and goes through and is uh, nominated and elected to the Hall of Fame, uh, the Boston College Varsity Club, we also put on the dinner, we put on the show, we organize the families uh, to travel um, here, not only for the reception, but uh, if you go to the BC football games, you see them come on at halftime and, and, do, and, um, and wave to the crowd uh, and get their recognition. So um, that's something that uh, the Boston Club does, and uh, I enjoy it right now. I am uh, vice president on uh, the second vice president in the Varsity Club. When I came on, I was uh, the treasurer. So um, it's good. It's a completely <clears throat> voluntary uh, organization. Um, you know, we're 5013C. Um, uh, we're affiliated with Boston College uh, in and of itself, the athletics, uh, as you know. But we try to put on some volunteer and to volunteer events, uh, different things to keep people, keep us connected to BC. And uh, it's been phenomenal for me because it allows me to come back to BC uh, about almost once a month uh, for our meetings and stay connected to the athletic department and what goes on here. So um, uh, I, I'm ecstatic to be a part of it. I'm, I'm glad they keep asking me to, <laughs> to return, actually. Um, and, and it allows me to come up and I keep seeing people that I haven't seen in years. Uh, the more you're involved with this, the more meetings uh, at BC in different departments. So it's been it's been a phenomenal experience for me, even to help out at this level. Last question, Derek. Uh, what do you think right now? How we doing the team, the football, and the future? New athletic director Martin Jarmone. Uh, just give us your take the future of BC athletics as they continue to progress in the ACC. Um, I'm excited. Uh, I guess um, to speak about the team, uh, the team. I think is young. I think that they're still finding their cohesive ways. Um, we've seen uh, thus far, you know, we've seen some stumbling, which every team does, and we've seen some fantastic play. So, so I think that this team is still defining itself, and and we're going to see that in the next uh, couple weeks. You know, as you get to uh, the fifty percent mark for a young team that that isn't more, you know, that that's less veteran. 
Um, once the cohesiveness starts getting together, I think between, you know, the 50% mark and, and you know, uh, the 70% mark of the season, uh, you know what kind of team you are. And you know, you know, the best, how you work cohesively the best way as a unit. So I think that we have yet to see, or we're just coming into tuition seeing uh, what this year's team has to offer. And I even still think that there might be a game or two more in development. And then, and then the question is, can, we, can they sustain it and can they elevate their game to, to sustain it at a high level? Um, so I'm excited. They've shown some really great things, and um, I'm excited for the program, for the kids uh, to finish uh, the year strong and, uh, and to see what we can do, maybe make a run for, for hopefully for, for a bowl game, um, for another bowl game. Uh, for athletics as a whole, I'm very excited. Uh, Martin Jarman has come on, and uh, he is just fantastic. I've uh, met with him, had the, been fortunate enough to meet with him uh, on several occasions, and, <clears throat> and each time I think I'm probably more impressed than I was the last time. He's very high energy. He's very focused. He knows uh, what his mission is here, um, and and he's and he's very pinpoint precise on how he's going to do it. How and um, and he stays focused, and he's not just uh, doing it doing it for show. He's not he's not you know uh, he's not a media person getting out on papers telling you what he's doing. He's actually hitting the pavement. And in fact, I, I think even you know as we speak, he was uh, doing a pizza deal for some of the kids uh, going to the game uh, for the FSU game, trying to get more kids and more, more people uh, in, the, in the stand, more seats in the stands filled for, for a big game like this. And I think that um, he's somebody that, uh, that walks the walk. He doesn't just talk the talk, and that's what he's doing right now. So I'm excited for football. I'm excited for basketball. I'm excited for, for hockey. I'm excited for all our programs uh, that we're in. We're in when some some very capable hands right now, and so uh, overall, um, I'm excited. I'm sitting in my seat for all sports, and um, and anticipating that over the next, you know, the course of the next uh, three to five years to be uh, fantastic years because I love what I've seen so far, and um, I'm ex- I'm excited to just be a part of it. But um, I'm really uh, dialed in at this point. Well, hey, Derek, I can say you're a great representative of the BC community. We thank you so much for the time joining us here on the podcast. Any final words you want to say to Eagle fans who remember your career uh, very fondly? Um, no, I just, um, you know, thanks for, for watching and um, uh, thanks for your support. I, I love I love my career just as much as, as I love all the fans supporting me. Um, so you, you are the reasons why we're out there. Um, you are the reason why we're out there and we fell in love with the school and we did what we did. And you continue to be the reason why we continue to be passionate and continue wanting Boston College to evolve to where we know we can be. Hey, Derek, thanks so much for the time. Hey, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com.
Pizza.com. At Stone Love and Pizza, their mission is simple to offer the most creative selection of hand tossed, all natural pizza in the Neapolitan tradition. Their pizzas are cooked in a stone fired brick oven directly on the stone to lock in the flavor. Stone Love and Pizza uses all natural products. In other words, their dough, sauce, and cheese contain no additives, preservatives, or weird chemicals of any kind. Come visit one of Stone Lovin's three locations, including the newest location at 1649 Beacon Street in Newton. Go Eagles! Well, thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast, Lights, Camera, Sports, presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. Uh, once again, thanks to Derek Knight for joining us. Great conversation. I really appreciate the time. I'd like to remind everybody, if you're a BC football fan, be a part of the largest BC football community. Just go to the BC Football Gridiron Club. Just go to bcfootballgridiron.com to sign up. That's bcfootballgridiron.com to sign up. All right. Thanks again so much for listening. Thanks to our sponsors, Chestnut Hill Technologies and Stone Lemon Pizza. This is Mike Galtieri saying we'll see you again next week.